0: The McIlvaney Weekly Commentary covering monetary, economic, and geopolitical news events.
1: From stocks to bonds to real estate, we will discover what new liquidity dynamics look like. Either... When we run out of buyers, or buyers become sellers due to some panic, or reaction to changing circumstances, a change in rates, a change of relations with China, an external event like a default in one of the great Chinese behemoths, or maybe it's a change in the public encounter with the forever virus. Time will tell. Now here are Kevin Oreck and David McIlvaney.
0: Welcome to the McIlvaney Weekly Commentary. I'm Kevin Orrick, along with David McIlvaney. You know, something that I miss from my childhood, Dave, is a common villain. You remember growing up when the family would sit down and watch a James Bond film, and we all agreed that the enemy had to be defeated. <laughs> right. Yeah, and in the 80s, uh, you know, the PG-13
1: was the equivalent of an R, so it really was something of a... Uh, a creative take on uh, family planning, shall we say? No, but
0: clearly there was <laughs> right. the good guys and the bad guys. Bad and this was guys. the Cold War. And so. James got the woman. He always got, or the women, right? But you knew that yeah. communism was bad. Right. And James was good. Well, you remember some of the villains in Live and Let Die. There's Mr. Big. He he got eaten by sharks. I remember he got his. And then uh, there was Sir Hugo Drax in Moonraker. <laughs> and uh, Hugo Drax, Sir Hugo Drax escaped in a Soviet submarine. See, that's that common enemy. He was going to destroy London with a nuke. And, you know, we had Dr. No, and he was going to disrupt our guided missiles. And he got buried under a pile of guano by Bond. And uh, Goldfinger, thats that hits a little closer to home. My last name is Auric. This guy was named Auric Goldfinger. Yeah, okay? exactly. A-U-R-I-C, Auric. <laughs> And he was going to steal gold from Fort Knox and, of course, fund our common enemy, right? Yeah. They always had an Eastern European accent or something that you knew was not you. So unification was around threat. Yeah. And that
1: seems to be the theme then. But, of course, we lived in the Cold War. And... Things changed post, uh, you know, fall of the Berlin Wall, 1989. Foreign Affairs writes a special paper for July and August of this year, 2021, titled The Forever Virus. That's our new enemy. A strategy for the long fight against COVID-19. Yeah. yeah. And the future they describe is one where the virus never goes away. Global herd immunity is unreachable. And the prospects of reliving 2020 all over again are high. Hmm. Hmm. barely mentioned is the origin of the virus, the conspicuous funding of the Wuhan lab explicitly for coronavirus research, or the emergency adoption of experimental
0: shots on on a global basis. Yeah, don't mention Wuhan. I mean, it couldn't have come from there, right. uh, unless it was a bat. Well, the celebrated success in the paper is that we rolled out the vaccine,
1: although there is the admission that if every human on the planet were vaccinated tomorrow, COVID would still be an issue. It, w- it would be an issue because, look, it's already moved to monkeys and cats and deer and mink and other animals. And so now we have the lingering concerns of transmission back to the human population in a new and virulent form. And exhibit A in, in this paper was Denmark, uh, where 200 human cases have already been identified coming from Minx. Minx. Right. Mm. So, uh, variants are the driving energetic force of the future as it relates to the
0: forever virus. Okay. But Bond still nails it on this. Okay. If you saw Her Majesty's Secret Service, you had Ernest Stavro Blofeld and he developed a deadly virus to destroy livestock and cereals and what have you. So the deadly virus enemy started to sneak in even into the Bond films. I, I I don't think Wuhan's got anything on this. No, but this is a global unifying factor like the Cold War
1: was, and it helps us understand the difference between good and evil. And it's a paint-by-numbers approach, but that's generally what your global elite want in terms of dividing the world into who
0: are you for and who are you against. Yeah, but you you can't really end up having it eaten by sharks or, or buried in guano What do we all have to do? And now it's what are you
1: for or what are you against? You get the airwaves filled with concern over variants and, you know, the faster efforts to vaccinate, whether it's against the UK variant or the South African variant or the Delta. um, They all have these designators, you know, B. One,
0: one, seven or B. One, six, seven point two. So what are you sick with? B. One point one seven. Yeah. And so you've got this sizable global
1: anti-vaccine movement. And then you've got the issues of production and distribution limitations, uh which you know again the writers of this article are basically saying herd immunity is off the table. Because this is of foreign these kinds affairs. This is foreign affairs that that you're uh, reading. That, right that's now. right. So foreign affairs, the folks at the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, variants are recorded and they're discussed in the paper with reference to where there's been a sizable breakout. So, you know, where did it begin? That's why we have the South African variant, right? So the nomenclature they're suggesting should not be geographic because one of the things that that does is, is raise the issues of nationalism or uh, shall we say, uh, non-globalism. So mm. need to reflect on the source of the recommendation. Again, Council on Foreign Relations consider the meaning. It let's get rid of the nomenclature. Those are kind of trigger words to say uh, South Africa or UK variant it makes you think negative things about South Africans and
0: Brits. So right? political correctness, it's got to be factored in. So in other words, instead of herd immunity they want herd ignorance right is (laughs) is that what it is herd ignorance
1: well i I appreciate the comment that the vast majority of mutations do not make the virus more transmissible and deadly there's one line in 19 pages where it's like yeah the, the mutations aren't actually that big of a deal but you consider the scale of the math involved and you have what they call variants of concern so on the table are the required booster shots and new vaccines because you've got variants of concern, um, which are the result of, again, these these mutations. And the booster shots and new vaccines bring back in uh, sort of the numbers as they're improving uh, because there is an issue. If you have improving numbers, then you also have a decrease or a decline in motivation to do anything. So the motivation for the non vaccinated goes away. The variant discussion keeps the impetus for shots front and center. Well, and
0: you wonder, too, I mean, if it doesn't change things, why in the world would you jeopardize yourself? You know, when we watch TV, they have these drug commercials that come on and you've got happy people and happy music and you sort of can try to figure out what the drug was for. But then you've got the next three minutes where it tells you all the bad things that can happen to you if something goes wrong with the drug. Guess what? The vaccine doesn't have to do. They They don't don't have have to to tell you all the bad things because it's not even FDA approved. Well, it's it's gone through a different process.
1: Again, emergency circumstances provide the legal protection for pharmaceutical companies. And so what that has essentially done is uh, remove the usual accountability for efficacy long-term disease complication and the liabilities attached with uh, the application of the drug because you have to disclose all the possible ramifications under normal circumstances these are not normal circumstances again emergency circumstances mm-hmm. uh, it's a different approval process the fda has looked at it but it's given the stamp of approval in a different form and fashion which again It's really a curious thing when pharmaceutical companies are removed from the liability structure. I mean, I can understand the rush to market of Moderna and Pfizer solutions. Again, we've got a crisis. And the fact that they went through, you know, the first, second and third rounds of trials as quickly as they did uh, was impressive. It was very impressive. Um, But now time has passed. And Mm -hmm. with the passing of time, you've got the opportunity for Robust science to catch up with panic circumstance and those governmental protections that are allowed for the pharmaceutical companies under emergency circumstances. Uh, so I'd love to see a normal FDA approval at this point and sort of a leveling of the playing field where all of these treatments are on a par with every other pharmaceutical on the planet
0: one of the things that you've always asked dave and we should all ask is who benefits and is there a benefit to the long emergency you know i was talking about her majesty's secret service uh, ernest stavro blofeld he developed a deadly virus but what's the gain and who does gain do they really want fda approval because then they would have to tell people the bad stuff as well
1: no if if i were one of the pharmaceuticals existing in this space is the ideal place because you're making money you did good science on the front end right and although you've got limited trials there were trials uh, but you don't really have to look over your shoulder on that and you don't have to look ahead to see what the future health ramifications are. And the disclosures, yeah, they they are starting to have some disclosures. I know the fact sheet, both for Pfizer and Moderna, had to change because they've had some heart swelling and whoops, uh, didn't see that one coming. Well, that's right, because they don't have to look into the future on a lot of this because there is no liability. Attack. Well, so but this who this benefits? A perfect
0: world who benefits what, what I want to know is, OK, it's easy to say the the pharmaceuticals do. And, you know, let's say that there is a cure. I mean, you're going to take punches because you have to to get it out quickly so in all fairness i don't want to just completely trash the pharmaceuticals but behind the scenes would it benefit certain groups of people to continue the long emergency indefinitely absolutely absolutely the the benefits of a long emergency this is not a question of science and
1: solutions uh it's one of surveillance and social modification i don't think it's merely eradication of disease that's on the table you look at the instinct of foreign affairs and our friends at the Council on Foreign Relations, and it gravitates towards the circumstantial conditions that justify a transformed global order. And you reflect on that. It's very convenient to have something that centers the attention of the entire globe and unifies public policy. Uh, we haven't had anything like that since the Cold War.
0: One of the things I love working with you and your family at this company, Dave, is we have some amazing clients. And I've got doctors who I talk to who are very well educated, not just in the medical field, but they're also educated in the political and the economic field. And looking at this, I I remember a doctor I was talking to about six months ago. He says, don't write off epidemiology, even if you're not for the vaccine. He says, in the 20th century, there's hardly been anything more valid and more life-saving." That's right. And, and just to, to qualify what I said earlier, actually, since the Cold
1: War, we've had the war on terror, which is something that definitely served as sort of a smokescreen for various public policies, wars of aggression, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. And so why were we doing what we were doing? Why did we show up in the Middle East? Why were we in Afghanistan? Why have we been in Afghanistan for 20 plus years? Well, right. again, there actually are things that have
0: been justification of public policy. And was but- Saddam Hussein really involved with nine eleven? was he really involved with 9-11? Yeah, that's a a reasonable question.
1: And and now I think we can answer it pretty clearly. Uh, But in the moment, in the moment of crisis, there was a justification. And now you've got something that's not just on the basis of national interest, but on a global basis. Right.
0: But we're not writing off the fact that there are vaccines to
1: things that can kill us. No, that's right. I mean, you learn from science and the epidemiological success in recent decades, we've battled smallpox, we've worked past SARS and MERS with various forms of influenza. If you go back in time, you go through measles and cholera and more. And yes, there are major successes and society would not be what it is today without the application of science and, and reason to an approach that has brought us out of exposure to disease and given us a lot of health there's an appropriate role for science, as there is a role for deduction and practical problem solving. 1854, the outbreak of cholera in London was solved by the removal of the handle from a water well pump. Really? That was the solution? The infected well was identified as the source, and measures were taken to mitigate the further spread. In fact, it's a little bit like the Taiwanese. Their decision was instantly to close the borders to residents of Wuhan in early 2020 implement screening, and immediately create a command center to drive a national response. Hmm. As of May 1st, 2021, Taiwan had reported 12 deaths from COVID. Twelve. Deduction, practical
0: action, there's clearly a benefit here. So, 12 deaths in Taiwan. You know, I sometimes wonder too, Dave, because this last year or two has been so different than, you know, any time in my life. You know, a lot of times art is a uh, predecessor or an imitator of, you know, modern day. I I think of even Wagner in the late 1800s, you know, the Nazi movement, the National Socialist Movement in Germany, actually picked up on that. Whether it was right or wrong, it was something that they used because it explained what they wanted to see the times moving toward. I just wonder, you know, you, you were talking about watching some things with the kids here recently that are starting to show this, this continual crisis. Uh, was yeah. it Disney, the Disney Channel? The Disney
1: Channel is is playing off of the same theme. Kind of reminds me of James Howard Kunstler's Long Emergency And over the weekend, I started a new Disney series with the kids called The Mysterious Benedict Society. That's what it was. And in it, there is the emergency, which is this sort of perpetual state of social concern. And everyone is sort of living with anxiety and fear. But it's through this general setting that information is distorted and behaviors are groomed. And someone in society wants other people on edge someone is leveraging policy decisions off of the accepted narratives of conflict and of environmental decay and you know it made for great discussions through the weekend
0: i actually could hardly believe it was disney you know you were talking about taiwan and they basically just said no one from wuhan come in and they've had 12 deaths as of what you say may but we live in america Wouldn't we cry out that that was actually draconian and and something that uh, was way beyond our our own personal freedoms? Uh,
1: Well, I mean, and we we did see a limitation of flights early on in January. And that was one of Trump's first criticized moves. The Democrats were up in arms that he was overreacting. In January of 2020, I spoke with a friend living in the Middle East. And we were just exploring what was going to happen, Uh knew that we weren't going to see each other this year because he and his wife would be unable to travel. Uh He explained that his country of residence was already in total lockdown, uh strictly enforced a year jail time for leaving the house. <laughs> and I thought wow. at the time that was draconian. Mm-hmm. And he gave me sort of the short critique of American culture that would. You know, find people bristling at any sort of infringement on personal freedom and autonomy and just how, you know, there's benefits to that, but there's also drawbacks. And he's right at the front edge of a crisis. When you consider leadership at the front edge of a crisis, you don't know if measures taken are, are too much or not enough and in time. You'll be judged by what was too much or too little. So the challenges of leadership are great in the early stages of, of any particular crisis.
0: Well, and you wonder if they can even handle a crisis, right, when they're politicizing everything. You remember, this was an election year that we were talking. Th- this all happened during an election year. So you were either for Trump or against Trump. You were for Biden, whatever the case was. We weren't getting real facts. What we were getting was just a ton of argument. You remember that uh, political opportunism
1: at every turn. The 2020 U.S. election was occurring during a pandemic. And that meant that everything was politicized, both sides. Viewpoints were codified, not around science, although they got tagged with that, uh, not around deduction, not around sort of a national or global solution, but you had everyone in D.C. who was on one side or the other of a deranged political crusade. You were either one of the Trump haters or you were one of the Trump supporters. And the world was very easily divided. Uh, COVID conveniently leveraged political energy and existential fear across the spectrum of left and right, and much of
0: what was politicized still lingers, and some of it we still call science. Well, and, you know, we've talked about command and control economies, but command and control from the top is almost always the goal. I mean, independence is not the goal. That's why this country was so different when it came about. But, you know, the Council on Foreign Relations, Dave, uh, you take Foreign Affairs magazine. There are some interesting articles in there, but you have to understand the bent that they're coming from. Would... A foreign affairs or council on foreign relations type of uh, agenda actually prefer a forever virus
1: 100 percent. the election is behind us but it would appear that foreign affairs is still preparing for the forever virus as they title their paper the forever virus now I wonder why and,
0: and it's like the kids Disney story. So this emergency, it's like the old Bond villain, except for it's not a person this time. And the question is, what side are you on? Are you a good guy or are you a bad guy? And the way it's been framed is, are
1: you on the side of science? Are you not? No and as we've talked about before science is not something that is strictly definable in the sense that it is the tools we use to interpret the data Mm -hmm. and there are actually many approaches to science and oftentimes we get locked into one particular mode of thinking and what makes it very uncomfortable is when someone comes to the floor with a different theory and all of a sudden you've got a different way of interpreting the same facts so you know, commenting before in the new reality of the post-Cold War era, without a definable enemy, easy to recognize, easy to caricature, Global leaders have struggled to focus the energy and attention of their voting base on matters of concern that drive election outcomes. You know, James Bond no longer fights the Russian bad guys. If you look at the most recent films, they're great, but he's fighting his own internal demons instead. It's Mm. it's psychological thriller more than it is spy thriller. And I think it makes for more interesting films. But the point is, complex enemies are not easy to rally against. Keep it simple. So maybe it's as simple as global warming, cooling, change as a leverage point, simple enough for every man, woman, and child to rally around. If you check the weather, it's changing. Self-evident proof that climate change is real. Uh, Perhaps it's the forever virus as an alternative point of leverage to define, and when you define a political course, channel political energies in the years ahead. Mm-hmm. Rallying people around what you're for is a lot of work and, and leaves you open to critique. It's easier to default to sort of a negative battle, what you're against. I mean, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. You're, you can be creative, Kevin. I've seen constant conflict between creative types and those who kind of sit back and give an armchair critique. We'll never leave and do and create, but they're more than willing to have an opinion. And they seem to know everything
0: about everything. So it's easier to be against something and you can be against the anti-vaxxers as well. The problem is, if you were really wanting this forever virus and you wanted everybody to have the vaccine, okay, or move through various stages of the vaccine, what do you do when the vaccine turns out not to change your transmission of the disease? Uh, North Carolina baseball team? I know. Wall Street Street Journal, June 25th
1: half the adults infected in an outbreak of the delta variant of covid 19 in israel were fully inoculated with the pfizer vaccine so the article says it prompts the government to reimpose an indoor mask requirement and other measures to contain the highly transmissible strain preliminary findings by israeli health officials suggest about 90 percent of the new infections were caused by the delta variant around half of the adults who were infected were fully vaccinated. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a narrative problem. And and yeah, you're right. The NC, North Carolina State baseball team is now out of the playoffs. It's a COVID story. The four positive tests for team players as of Monday were all fully vaccinated team members. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Begins to change the conversation on masks and shutdowns and the assumptions you might have had about getting the jab and having protection or might have had about getting back to normal. Because I tell you what, If we are in a forever crisis and if this is a forever virus, we can
0: go back to 2020 in a New York second. I just wonder, you know, talking about art, sometimes mimicking what's going on back in the old days, back in the days of kings and queens and and, uh, castles, you had the jester and the jester. Was able to say what he thought, and the reason the reason people enjoyed the jester was everybody else was thinking it too. I just wonder when comedy is going to start taking over but on this couldn't. and showing the ridiculous paradox that's going on.
1: And everyone was afraid to say what the jester would say, knowing that they could lose their heads, whereas the jester could, in fact, get away with it. That was his role. It was almost like tension relief. Did you see the SNL skit, uh, Boomers Got the Vax?
0: I did not. No. Okay. Boomers got the back.
1: If you like satire and can handle the body nature of SNL, then by all means, it's must viewing.
0: Well, you know, it was always an experimental platform, even going back to the 70s. You know, so if this one was working, I'd like to see it. You know, but whether it's NC State baseball or the research that was done by the
1: group in Israel, where half of those infected were already vaccinated. Think about the narrative of that. Can you imagine if you were trying to sell birth control pills and you said oh you also it'll also require you to use a condom hmm. you're like w- wow. w- wait a
0: and you want wait me to do both oh, there you go
1: credibility might be an issue going forward hmm. so in this case what we have is blame on the variants. this is in fact what the world health organization is doing this week with the delta variant vaccinated people They've said vaccinated people still need to wear masks.
0: You know, I talked to a doctor yesterday uh, who's one of the top kidney doctors uh, in the United States. He's he's 78 years old. He's mo- we joked about retirement, Dave, just a little aside. Uh, he, and he said, no, never retire. He says, just go part time. He says I was talking to he was in <laughs> Maui at the time with his grandkids, but he's still he practices. And he said, you know, Kevin, be really careful with the vaccine. He said, uh, you have to understand there are things that are being understated for other reasons right now. Now, this is this is from what I would consider an expert opinion. And so you're saying he's one of the, the better nephrologists in the country. Yeah, I find it easier to say kidney specialist if you don't mind.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, this week you've got the FDA adding a warning on heart inflammation to the mRNA fact sheets, both for Pfizer and Moderna. And, you know, according to a panel at the CDC. You've got that. I mean, it's very rare the heart disease that they're seeing pop up amongst teens who've who've been vaccinated, uh, but the CDC says it's likely linked to the mRNA vaccines. That's the TTP thrombotic thrombocytopenic pure. I don't know what it is,
0: but it's it's a. I'm glad we sell gold. That's a 4 uh, litter word, right?
1: <laughs> it might give pause for expanding the shots to teens. At least it does for me. I have teens, and you think, huh? Well okay maybe not um you've got the the israeli study looking specifically at the pfizer vaccine linked also to that point of teens and ttp uh to be frank there's a lot riding on the forever emergency mm-hmm. and the forever virus to have a series of highly publicized child or adolescent vaccination catastrophes so i mean if they really want this thing to stick as sort of a a, a, a defining fear factor for shaping and molding public opinion and defining public action, they're going to not only need to disclose, well, maybe they take the other side of the approach and say, anything that should be disclosed, we keep under wraps. I guess we're going to have to see how it plays out. But the CDC, the FDA, you know, they're
0: changing their tune a bit. Well, you know, you talk about how they're changing the tune in perception management. We've talked about the Federal Reserve, which you know, you've got the CDC, you've got all, you know, the FDA, but actually the Federal Reserve. I'm going to shift this to the markets because we'll have people listening right now going, all right, guys, you guys are market guys. You're not doctors. We're not. we play doctors on tv but we're not doctors ourselves but the truth of the matter is the markets are affected by this and so i'd like to draw you into that line of thinking yeah, well un- uncertainty drives volatility yeah and so yes this is still market commentary
1: if you say that the forever virus is something that needs to be whipped up and concerns need to be brought to the fore on a routine basis How exactly do the markets respond? Is that further excuse for Federal Reserve and central bank largesse? Or is that a reason for, just as we saw March, 2020, massive sell-offs in particular assets? Uncertainty drives volatility. So Mm -hmm. yes, this is still market commentary. COVID cost the global economy an easy $20 trillion. And we're still dealing with exaggerated market dynamics that linger on even as the chaos and uncertainty of COVID
0: at least appear to be dissipating. And there's unintended consequences to all this. You know, we had the global financial crisis and the enemy going back to the bond thing. The enemy actually became a downturn in the stock market or a downturn in the economy. So for the last 10, 11, 12 years, they've been managing perception. The Federal Reserve has there's been unintended consequences. Look at real estate. Real estate's one of those covid influenced sectors.
1: Yeah. You've got a massive migration from SETI Center to the Burbs or to smaller towns. That, that's been a significant change. Renters choosing to own, that's another significant change. Mm. Eric Rosengren from the Boston Fed shared with the Financial Times on Monday this week that we cannot afford a boom bust cycle in the housing market. Mm. That would threaten financial stability. Oh, you think, in his you view. think, you think. Uh, to which we reply, You typically mitigate the bust by not introducing the elements that artificially promote a boom or bubble dynamics. So if you don't want diabetes, don't just overdose on sugar. Uh, That's that's about right. Right. Yeah. So fixed rate mortgages at 3% or less come to mind. Historically, loose financial conditions do as well. Is there coincidence between skyrocketing sticker prices and subsidized lending? $40 billion in monthly mortgage purchases from the Fed. That's more than... A rounding error, forty billion a month.
0: Yeah, th- those are mortgage-backed securities. Okay, so they're bringing per- onto their balance sheet. Right, setting just like they did back in two thousand five, six before the crash.
1: Well, you're setting artificially low borrowing costs, and that naturally promotes artificially high asking prices on the other side of the equation. Right. So over the last year, you've had existing homes which have increased in price by twenty three point six percent, new homes by over eighteen percent, according to the National Association of Realtors. Are these normal price increases, Dave? I I don't think so. Not exactly. Yeah. But but the frenzy to own has emerged. You know, not surprising in the context of pandemic. We want our own space. And to the degree that we're cooped up, we want to define our freedom of movement and existence within the walls we control and the yard that we mow. Tell me I can't go out. Tell me I can't have friends. Great. I'm just going to need a little bit more square footage. There is a huge psychological flexing going on here, coinciding with a below trend availability of supply. And that also is
0: coinciding with commodity prices going higher. A very unique cocktail. I have a client who owns a, uh, a packaging company. And uh, you know, I've known him for 30 years. They're they're quite successful. But he said, you know, Kevin, paper, the, the paper that we package, these cardboard boxes, it's gone up 26%. He said the glue's gone up. But he said, you know what's crazy? I was telling my wife this last night because she wants me to get rid of a few pallets uh, <laughs> on the property, uh, wood pallets. He said the thing that's really tough on him are the wood pallets that he has to put these packages on because he said the wood as it's measured in board feet has gone up from $300 to $1,600. He says the pallets alone are... are creating huge inflation.
1: In college, we would go to the cafeteria on a Friday or Saturday and ask if we could haul away their pallets, and they were more than happy to let us take them. And we'd take them to the beach, and we'd have a bonfire at the beach, you know, college, playing guitar, you know, sitting out at the <laughs> beach, bonfire. You can- uh, We'd burn that stuff. It's Pallets trash. are
0: Legos for men, okay? when you've I've got five acres, and my son and I, we would go get pallets, and we'd, we'd either play paintball with them, we'd turn them into ramp. You burned them, Uh, you know, but now they're very, very expensive. Well,
1: Rosengren is right about financial stability being jeopardized by a bust in real estate. Hmm. All we see at present is boom. No end in sight. But like with any market, the solution for high prices is, as they say, high prices, right? People slow their purchasing, even as, you know, you have builders scrambling to catch up with seemingly unending demand, potentially throwing you into
0: oversupply and then a price correction. I think it's worth repeating what you said there. The solution for high prices is high high prices. prices. I mean, it's obvious but it's not obvious at the time. No, and, that's, it, and it's good to remember that. And it's always the same way on the other end of the equation. The solution for low prices is...
1: Low Low prices. Look at oil last year. Yeah, because what (laughs) happens is you end up shutting down production. And as soon as you shut down production, you've changed supply and you watch demand and supply sort of find each other somewhere in the middle. And that's how prices take care of themselves. The the consolation in real estate is that a reversal in price takes a bit of time, more time than stocks or options or Mm -hmm. things like that, which which can or cryptocurrencies, which can reverse course in a day or in a second, you can lose 50% in an equity position in a month, right? Real estate takes more time in part because you've got asking prices that have to be put together, appraisals, offers to purchase or sell. They're not generated with a click of a mouse, right? They're not run by an algorithm. It's a process which typically takes
0: weeks to months. We talked last week too about You don't always have to have things rising in demand have the price rising. In other words, the price can rise when demand is falling. And, and I think that's happening to real estate right now, too. There's a little bit of a delay, but aren't May home sales down? We'll have to see if uh, one month is a
1: trend in the making. It's too early to say because I think a part of the reason why May home sales were down was because there was a limitation on finished supplies. So, you know, you look at the current inventory and only about 10% of that inventory was finished and available for purchase. So it really skewed I think May home sales were down 6% month over month hmm. again limited finished supplies being an issue but you said
0: prices are up almost 25% yeah
1: let's let's go back to the year on year price numbers 374,400 is the median sales price of new homes actually the average was 430 but let's just use the 374,000 number if you look back over the last 20 years that number has come up it's come up from 175,000 That was the median price in 2001. So, over the last 20 years, you're up roughly 114%. That annually compounds at about a 3.87% increase per year. Okay. Annually compounded 3.87% per year. You rarely see an 18 to 23% increase in price. So, the year on year change of 18%, it's almost five times the average increase. What we're saying is the rate of change for a single family home is accelerating above a normal rate. If you wanted to look at it differently, the most recent year on year increase of 18%, if that was normal, if you assumed that that's what happened every year, then over the last 20 years, you know, we reference the price of the home, the median price in 2001, 175,000. If it's compounding at 18%, instead of just It'd under millions
0: it be millions
1: yeah. your your single family home is now priced at 4.8 million dollars today hmm. all yeah, that to so say it's not normal it's not normal right. it's not normal this is not a normal market and like all fed chiefs rosengren is to this conversation a day late and a dollar short his financial times comments they're great they're great as and after the fact sort of i told you so but the reality is that he is on the team delivering bubble dynamics
0: via asset purchases and artificially low rates okay but is it just the low rates Uh, you know you've got all these trillions of dollars that are being printed right now you've got hedge funds and pension funds that are just awash with liquidity we talked about the banks being awash with liquidity and now you've got people who are needing to buy single-family homes who are competing with hedge funds that have almost unlimited amounts of money so it's in this case, it's not the artificially low rates because they're not borrowing money to buy that property. They're just coming in and buying it. I, I talked to a client in Texas. I think He was in Spring, Texas, and he said, Kevin, he said, you can't buy a home in this area because all of the uh, pension funds and the hedge funds are coming in and buying it up. It's just causing massive sc- – in Texas. You're okay? right. So you're talking about a
1: state where you've got individual investors, pension funds, private equity funds, hedge funds, everyone is income starved. And so you're dealing with investor expectations. Uh, Blackstone picks up another 17,000 homes. That was a $6 billion deal we mentioned a a week ago. Uh, 17,000 homes further establishes them as as the nation's largest landlord. You know, keeps the
0: institutional buying pressure on single family home supplies and, of course, on prices as well. Try to be a young couple trying to buy their first home. You you can't compete with Blackstone. No,
1: not really. So, you know, Mester commented that
0: very low rates can lead to Excessive valuations. Gosh, I love the obvious stated in, in this commentary. Keep, going. Keep yeah. going. Yeah. Does that include housing? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, is it equities pushing towards a, a, a cyclically adjusted price earnings ratio of 37? Uh, yeah. yeah, we'll probably hit 40 That's this year. 37 years of earnings. If you're buying a business and, and you know it's going to take you 37 years to break even, you might think twice about buying that business. The stock market is at 37 right now. Yeah. And yeah. You, you think it'll get to 40. Well, I do. And and then you've got bonds,
1: negative yields. A- again, at Mester's comment is stating the obvious. Yes, low rates lead to excessive valuations. It is the everything bubble. Right. Believe it or not, relative to other developed countries, even though prices are high and going higher in U.S. residential real estate, U.S. residential real estate is still relatively
0: cheap relative to, again, your, your, your other developed countries. Okay, so if everybody's buying everything, you, know, you talked about the everything bubble, and that was the cover of an Economist magazine last year, if you recall. I know you subscribed to The Economist. If everybody's just buying, okay, from real estate to stocks to bonds, is anybody ever going to sell? And can we, if we need to?
1: Yeah. Well, the biggest concern in the market today is not an obvious one. Liquidity. It's my concern. You know, you think liquidity exists and therefore an asset price moves higher Mm -hmm. and it moves higher. And you think, well, I can always sell because it appears that there's always a buyer. But when the sell side is tested and a bid is requested You then figure out how much liquidity there actually is. The Financial Times ran an article last Wednesday worth bearing in mind, downward spiral in liquidity is leading to more market shocks. Uh, The article says that broad market liquidity, uh, the ease with which investors can buy or sell a security without affecting its price, has been in a downward spiral. For more than 10 years, hmm. the market makers role has been largely taken over by bots running high speed algorithms
0: and they only know how to buy when everything's buying. They, they don't really know how to sell in mass, do they? I mean, the bots don't know what to do when it comes time to sell except back away or hedge positions which can exaggerate the downside
1: in a particular trend so volatility is something that is more and more common and and it was interesting I, i read one study where over about a 25 year period there were i think nine days if i'm remembering this is just off the top of my head forgive me but i think it was nine days uh over about a 25 year period where you had volatility of 5% or greater, and yet, since the global financial crisis to present, we've had 62 of those days. Hmm. Volatility is on the increase. Now, we had an explanation for that by one of our guests who was a part of the creation of Dodd-Frank and said on our commentary, I think I created a monster, Bookstabber. Yeah, yeah. So when Richard Bookstaber joined us to discuss his book, "The End of Theory," an, an excellent read, I highly recommend it. That was a part of his conclusion: is we solved the problem of the global financial crisis, creating more oversight and and limiting the incentives. Of the bad actors on Wall Street, but oh, we also changed the incentive dynamics for every player on Wall Street, including the market makers. So if you count back to the year 2000, not only have we seen decimalization uh, occur where stocks no longer trade as as fractions, uh, but instead as decimals. And then post global financial crisis, we've got market makers who lose an incentive to trade their own portfolios for profit. Right. And thus are not really interested in taking on inventories of stock. So the biggest concern in the market, it's not obvious every day. It's not obvious every day. But liquidity, you think it exists and therefore the asking price is moving higher. But wait, but wait until someone tries to sell. So from stocks to bonds to real estate, we will discover what new liquidity dynamics look like, either when we run out of buyers or buyers become sellers due to some panic, or or reaction to changing circumstances. What might those circumstances be? A change in rates, a change of relations with China, um, an external event like a default in one of the great Chinese behemoths where we could see a massive default any day, or maybe it's a change in the public
0: encounter with the forever virus, time will tell. You've been listening to the McIlvaney Weekly Commentary. I'm Kevin Oreck, along with David McIlvaney. You can find us at McIlvany.com. That's M-C-A-L-V-A-N-Y.com. And you can call us at 800-525-9556. This has been the McIlvany Weekly Commentary. The views expressed should not be considered to be a solicitation or a recommendation for your investment portfolio you should consult a professional financial advisor to assess your suitability for risk
1: and investment. Join us again next week for a new edition of the McIlvaney Weekly Commentary.